Welcome to this podcast by the International Cohort, part of the Donut Economics Peer-to-Peer Learning Journeys, which was hosted by Civic Square, working with Enroll Yourself and the Donut Economics Action Lab. Over the last six months, we have been exploring new economic possibilities that are regenerative and distributive by design in the context of our local neighbourhoods. In this series of three conversations, we discuss well-being, language and migration, subjects that came up again and again in our weekly online meetings. Okay, migration. Um, I suppose it's something that has really come up through our conversations over the last number of months and, and people have talked about moving places and some of the questions that that brings up in us when we are outsiders and in different places. And I suppose that theme of migration or movement has always been a story entangled in my life. And I was—I don't know if anyone heard the sound of, of, of drumming that came through when I was speaking. So today is a public holiday in Northern Ireland. It's the 12th of July. And I was actually thinking it, it, it celebrates um, an event that happened 500 years ago where there was a French Catholic king and a Dutch Protestant king fighting on the island of Ireland. And I was thinking they were both migrants, you know, in a sense. They were both kind of in, in places around which they were not born. And so I suppose migration, as I said, is a story that's always been entangled in my life. As a white European woman that was born in, in Africa and lived in different countries in Africa and Asia growing up with parents who were shaped by the colonial legacy of the British and Belgian kind of empires um, in Africa. And always aware as a child of being a very rich outsider. So incredibly clear on my outsider status, wherever I was living, but one with resources. And then I came to Northern Ireland about 20 plus years ago as a blow-in. And I think I'd said in another conversation, I just think it's fascinating about the language or the words that we have in our different languages and contexts for blow-in. But blowing in Northern Ireland context, and even though I've been here 21, 22, 23 years, with people that I don't know, I'm asked the question, where are you from? And in that question, the subtext is, you're not from here. So, which reminds me again, I'm not from here. <laughs> so you kind of go around the cycle. And I always think there's a lovely response, well, you're not from here either. Um, but that's another kind of whole conversation so I suppose a kind of thinking around some of these questions um, that we are all involved in in, in, in trying to, to bring about changes, whatever those might mean in our context. And I think as an outsider for myself, there are questions of legitimacy, and we've talked about that around our voice or voices that we carry inside us. There are clearly issues of power um, that kind of filter in all the time. The issues around seeing and what we notice, I know I don't see the multi, multi layers of the land and the soil and the stories in a place. Going back to my microscope or telescope, I might see a kind of slightly telescopic vision, but the layers and layers of history and entanglements that shape a land, um, I don't see as an outsider. And, and so these are kind of questions I always have with myself. And I suppose all of us are, I, I think we're practicing an inside out approach to change. It always starts with ourselves and then how that reflects itself outward with um, folk that, that we work with. And and I always love, though I can never remember it, so I've written it down, the kind of quote from Octavia Butler around all that you touch, you change, and all that you change, changes you. So whatever the relationship I'm working myself at in the context as an outsider, I'm constantly bringing about change by the fact I'm there. 
And it's kind of thinking through then what are the changes that's bringing back in me. So I'm really interested in back how everyone in this room, yeah, where does migration sit or, or movement um, in everyone's context? I think something that's really um, stuck with me is, yeah, so my inability to be necessarily committed or connected to a certain area, um, which is kind of heightening that like lack of roots or connection, history, heritage. So almost actively choosing to be nomadic, but then like so desperately and deeply wanting to connect and make impact and struggling to reconcile how how you invest in an area and make impact when you don't you don't kind of feel like you belong or you don't feel like you are part of it because you're not necessarily actively connecting to it. Yeah, I feel like I'm speaking a little bit of poems, but uh, basically, yeah, struggling with this idea of, of of being unsettled, being constantly changing, constantly moving, and then trying to really kind of land land the ideas and land the space in a localized way, um, and being quite dis- disconnected from from that space. Um, and I think that's been like quite a, a big part of for me, the learning journey of like, how do you actually make impact when you feel like you're not necessarily in a space to really be connected and and make impact in that space because you don't actually know it fully, as you're saying, Karen. I've noticed for myself how uh, being completely new to an area, so I've moved a lot uh, in my adult life. And just before this journey started, I moved to into a new place in Copenhagen. I've never, before I got the interview of moving in. Uh, I've never been to this area of Copenhagen before. So then starting this work, working on a neighborhood level, it gave me a lot of questions on what's my mandate to do work here? What kind of conversations can I start? I don't really know the history of the place. I don't hold a lot of uh, relationships in the area. So how, like, when do I know what kind of work I'm allowed to do like i don't know how to explain it but that uh, mandate or permission um i don't have answers to it yet because it's still an ongoing um question for me but a theme that has happened a lot because of my my movement around the world but also in denmark um is that temporarity like being in a place in a short period of time doesn't exclude you from being part of the process. You can still plant a tree, but what needs to happen before you can plant that tree? What gives you the permission to decide that a tree can be planted a certain place? So, yeah, I guess that's... in It's one of the roots in relationships to understand when you have permission to, to do something on behalf of other people. But it's important for me to remember that I don't exclude myself because I'm here for a shorter period of time, because I've also taken myself out of a lot of decision-making or contribution because I felt, okay, I can't, I don't have a right to say what needs to happen here. So it's a, it's a very delicate balance. And of course, if there's the North-South dynamic in place, then I think the humility uh, needs to expand a lot longer than when I'm in in my home country where I grew up. So I need to listen for a lot longer being other places, I think. But um, yeah, some questioning around that. I think I can totally relate to the 
experience of moving around a lot and not feeling rooted anywhere and feeling like an outsider and permission to to get on with work um and I think I've used it as an excuse sometimes to not because I've only just arrived and I'm not sure if I'll be here long enough and I find it easier to do within my professional work where I feel I have the remit um I have the permission in a where where projects and professional practice takes me more, much more so than neighborhoods where I live but um or have lived as well but a couple of weeks ago one of our beautiful peers Hayley in Pontypridd in Wales um she pointed to, towards something that really struck a chord for me she talked about refugees that were settling in the area and they were starting to get involved in local activity immediately um, as a giving back. So obviously the community were supporting them in their needs that they required in the moment, but in a giving back sense that the that community of refugees were then standing up in community settings and saying, can we come along? Can we support? Can we help? help? And there was this lack of permission required in what she was pointing to she was kind of saying contribute to your community and then it will become reciprocal or that's what I heard actually so what I left from that conversation feeling having just arrived in my new community I've you know moved at the beginning of this journey I've just moved two weeks ago and three weeks ago but um what I heard from that was actually I feel to do this work in the way that I want to carry on doing going forward, I almost need to first turn up in other people's um, spaces that they're leading and requiring some some support from people that I need to front up and do some work in other people's spaces, things that align with me, uh, things that I feel are valuable. So there's already a community orchard and a group of people that organise around that. So, and they want volunteers, they need community support. So I feel that my way forward is to turn up and just start supporting other people's work around this area. It might not be directly around donor economics per se, but it's about turning up, supporting other initiatives that I feel align with my values and, that, and work. And from that, then I feel that there will be a crack, there will be a gap that I can identify where I can then lead perhaps something that is that, that I that, and take ownership, I suppose, of something, but feel that I have kind of sown the seeds in a reciprocal way before. Otherwise, what I can do is just sit in my home waiting for that permission or or overthinking this too much. Um, before I make the steps out into the neighbourhood because I'm thinking about the permission required, about the the need, about the language that I use and who I need to talk to and where the local politics sit and all of that kind of thing. And that's not going to serve anybody, anybody or anything if I if I take that strategy. So so when Hayley shared that, it was um, I felt it pointed me into a strategy for me going forward. I think this question has been, um, this question on migration and belonging and place has been accompanying me ever since I started studying economics. I think for the whole initial question of it being the way that we take care of our home, 
So comes, so where is my home? This feeling of being an outsider and an, in, and an insider, I kind of feel it at the same time, it's quite paradoxical as being a white uh, Brazilian uh, person. So I was clearly born and raised um, in a place in which my ancestors were not supposed to be at. And the whole nation, which is just insanely big and 90, 97 times geographically than Portugal, it's good to put a scale to things. It's very hard to understand this as being one sole identity, so it's very hard to understand myself as being Brazilian, even though we kind of do have some things in common. We actually are so different from each other. We're like a million countries within one. And so where I'm from as being like white, middle class, and again, it's such a huge uh, difference of inequality and what, what are the questions that we're trying to address in different places in my city. So the main problem that I have living there is a lot about violence which is one side of a coin of something that is really like a struggle to survive and live in a very oppressive system if you're like a black person from a vulnerable neighborhood. So this is the flips, flip coin of it. And wanting to address that, because I do understand that it's a complex social system, and I do understand that in the end it's about addressing that, but when you reach those intersectional structural problems you then understand how long it's going to take to tackle it and it's something that's from like way way before my own existence and it's going to keep on going way after I perish <laughs> and so comes the question of what I do with my life uh, if I have an opportunity to migrate which is some part of the experiment that I've been doing for the last two years so it's been two years that I'm not at home as what I knew it until that point. So I lived for almost 30 years in one place and now I'm off and constantly moving and experiencing the, the pains of like not knowing what is home, not knowing if I belong, not really having friends around often and being very well reminded that I'm not from here. This is also very different. <laughs> So I, I'm, I, I came here to study and I wish I could work, but I constantly just can't because I, I'm not allowed to. And so many other things, which is just absolute nonsense. <laughs> and that do change something, right? So as, as what is it, like, what is my contribution? And I think this comes also to the, our first topic of conversation today about like not burning out and knowing how to take care of ourselves. How is it that I can take out care of myself in the context that I'm, like the way that I relate to the context that I'm from. How can I find strength enough to face those things if I find myself so powerless? And I don't know, I definitely don't have the answer for it. And I think a lot of folks from where I'm from don't. And this is something that I've been also talking to friends, like the reason I would consider coming back, and I do consider coming back a, a lot, is about the connections and the people that I have uh, back home, which I love so much and I would love them to be part of my day-to-day -day life. But also when I speak with them, many of them are just waiting for the opportunity to leave. Because this is, this is a stress. <laughs> it's, it became very hostile for people with privilege. So how to imagine how that is to people that don't have. So as a migrating human, <laughs> a, a current migrating human, I, I guess Part of the answer, and this is from us, there's two songs that I really love, one that I shared with the girls uh, on our small group, which is from Jorge Drexler, he's an Uruguayan 
um, song um, singer and and he has this beautiful lyrics about being in movement and how movement is actually what unites us all because we're actually none of us is from here whatever here means and another one is from an Australian um, artist called Nai Palm and she has a song called Homebody is which she brings this concept of our home being our body first and foremost and this is very much how I try to find peace in my movement today. Maybe there's something to be considered in the metaphor of a plant variety naturalizing to a place so you plant something let's say a carrot no let's say um, beans and the beans were sent to you by somebody who grew them in North France and I plant them in West Clare and I save the seed and then I plant those seeds again and I save those seeds again and I plant those seeds again and I save those seeds again and eventually they're they're West Clare beans and they'll grow best in West Clare until I send them to somebody else in Georgia and then they become Georgia beans but I wonder so we receive the label of blow-ins but but as you say I think it was Karen about what you t- you change what you touch and you're changed by what you touch and um, what's the human equivalent of producing flowers and then seeds and then saving them and sowing them again it might be the, the decision the the recurring decision to stay a course or whether that be moving around <laughs> or whether that be to stay in the same place i've been thinking a lot about that as well molly and actually exactly the same the same word and the same metaphor because i've been reading um, Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer and she is talking about that, that struggle of if you're not indigenous to a place and you can't be indigenous to that place then what can you be to that place and she settles upon naturalised as well and she uses the example of plantain which is called I think the word in a certain language I'm not sure which is um white man's footsteps because it came with the settlers in America and followed them around like footsteps and she said that as like a good example of how we could potentially naturalize to kind of fill up the cracks and not take up too much space and to make ourselves useful and helpful yeah so that really resonated with me and also with what Mona and Jody were saying but first of all, like what we have the right or the remit to do and how we can maybe reframe that to like what we have the gift and the responsibility of doing as a way of giving ourselves agency and not being paralysed by this kind of should we or shouldn't we, shouldn't we act. But I also think like this, there is a struggle about staying in place and that ability to, to know a place more the longer that you stay there and build the relationships and know the ground and the nature and, and everything. And yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot recently, just like very you know, small life things about like, we live in a small house, we might have another baby, it might be nice to have a bigger house if you have another baby. And then it was like, there feels like there's just like this pressure to kind of move on a like trajectory or a ladder to like different places. And we're like, well, we like where we live. We do have a community here. I don't want to be part of that kind of, I'm already an agent of gentrification. I don't want to be part of that like 
transients of gentrification, you know what I mean? I want to like be able to put roots down in this community. So I think, yeah, there's something around around that but then there's also something around like other communities being totally valid as well like online communities and how you can kind of nurture and nourish those as well to pick up on you know on the one hand feeling you're on a track but then if you're not following the track having to kind of make it up as you go along and we're not often encouraged to seek out other elders or to seek out other parents or seek out other grandparents or maybe seek out other kids. Um, and perhaps it's having a sense of a community playbook, whether you're passing through or whether you're rooting in, knowing, like I just realized the other day, that like I really value the relationships that's permitted or that that happens or the exchange that happens between people of different vastly different ages to myself and then I was you know paused and I was like how where do I find that that what do I do do I have to go to church do I have to go to the pub I don't go to do I have to like it just happened that there was a trad festival and I went to a Kaylee and I was the I was the man leading Fanola who was 75 from Rask Harbury and I like had to like figure out what the man hand was and then we danced like six dances together. So to respond to what was raised very early on about do I have permission to contribute and how do I contribute it's also about the spaces that you enter and are they designed to facilitate the building of community or are they not? So in Ireland, villages are strip planned. So you there's very few crossing points. There's very few village centres. And now there's very few weekly gatherings. The church is kind of dwindling and there isn't necessarily anything coming to fill its place. So migration can be more difficult if the place you're migrating to does not is not built to facilitate accidental crossings or pathway crossings or if you're migrating in with a non-conventional reason for being there you don't automatically have a group to fall into i was just reminded of a conversation i had maybe five years ago the first time i was in in south africa i went there with my school and we were 45 people going on a semester abroad and we were working with local projects, I think 10 different projects, so self-organized across the 45 people we worked for four months. And before we went, uh, my school is in Switzerland and we went with a Danish school, so we went to Denmark having a lot of conversations about colonialism and racism, because now we're going to South Africa and checking ourselves and learning about our own blind spots, and it just had the impact um, that a lot of people got paralyzed and thought a lot about their own role and questioning the whole thing about going to South Africa and do the work for good reasons. So I'm not criticizing that we had all these conversations because I think they are super important. But it was interesting because then I talked to one of the guys on the project, one of the projects that I was involved with, and he later came a really good friend. Uh, but... He said something along the lines like, hey, come on, guys, you cannot just sit for four months and listen to us. <laughs> it's enough now. <laughs> are we going to do some work here or are you just planning to sit here, sit around and listen to us? Or Because then we might have something better to do. <laughs> and that really made me think 
um, and I, I created a value for myself that I want to live up to a principle of humble confidence. So I have a humility to not know everything. I don't have all the answers. I don't hold all the answers, especially not when I'm entering a new community or a new piece of work. I really don't hold all the answers. But I should also still have the confidence to sit, to know that I'm bringing something to the table. I have experiences that are valuable to other people. And my friend in South Africa, he was just like, we don't have all the answers. So we want you to bring some of that outside perspective onto the table. And then we can find a place to work from in that space where we're both listening to the story and to the context, as well as bringing those external perspectives into the space, which was a good reminder of the humility or the withdrawal can also be too much and not actually beneficial and not what's needed in a in a context. So I don't think we should be afraid of those meetings of cultures and perspectives, but we need a lot of humility um, and care in that space, but not to an extent that takes us out of the conversation. I remember as a, when I was living in South Africa as a young adult, um, one of my key learning experiences, so I was returning to Africa, having left for about five, six years growing up. And I was working in an NGO and relationships had been built up and friends and so on. So anyway, a whole group of us went to a conference in the Western Cape. And there was lots of other NGOs and so on. And one night the conversation turned to apartheid. And suddenly I shifted from being a colleague to being a white person. And I had to sit there and listen and be representative of a group for that evening. The next day, I then had to work myself. It wasn't everyone else to be coming back to being a colleague. So it was a really important learning experience for me about the interplay between colleagues. And when the moment calls, I have to represent the group around which a very important conversation needs to continue having. And so emotionally, it was a very difficult journey, but it's something that I've always carried that I have to do when I do represent a group that has been an oppressive force in whatever the kind of the context is. There is um, a work that I really like. Um, is from Alan Kaplan and Sue Davidoff, maybe her surname. Uh, it's called The Delicate Activism. It really brings a lot about this, well, taking on maybe on Molly, um, <laughs> Molly, very beautiful metaphor of the seeds. Not only the seed change when you plant something otherwise, but the landscape and the way that all the plants there relate also change. So as much as we change where we are, it also forms us again. Uh, this has been our, our main team uh, while we're talking and... This speaks to Mona's idea of, of bringing um, like this humility, this humbleness, of understanding that once you come into a place, you're not just an outsider who's bringing input or bringing knowledge development, and then you can put all, all these triggering words or not, but also you're someone who are being changed and affected by this new thing that you're just getting to know. And I think this is the most I think the most beautiful thing maybe that we can might see coming from those movements of migration and by getting to know people. 
Uh, they're so different from so many different cultures. Also for you to know who you are on different contexts. I think this has been part of my journey very personally because being able to get out of the context that I was, maybe be able to experience myself in a completely different environment and that made me understand, oh, this does not belong to me. <laughs> this constant fear that I experienced living in my city actually does not belong to me. It's about the context. Oh, and this is, this is how I behave if this or that happens. And so there's a lot of opportunities to self-actualize and that comes from those gatherings. I know our, our time is up, so we'll probably need to, to wind up. But picking up on that, Alice, what I heard you remember someone ages ago, and I think it's a famous kind of counseling quote, you know, be aware of what your shit is and then what other people's shit is and can make sure the difference between the two. Um, but I suppose the conversation has brought up a, a memory of a story. It's, um, it's a story written by an, an Indian um, author and it's a little village and there was a very rich landowner and he died. And his gift was that he left um, enough train tickets for every single person in the village to travel around India for a year. And it's a story of the journey of these villagers who had never been out of their home, traveling and discovering their land. And, and I'm sure there's a more complex story, so this is just the book. But the story is that when they came back to their village, they had seen, noticed, and the transformation in terms of what was seen to be possible. But yeah, I think um, it's kind of, I think that's something for me about remembering that the power, as you were saying, Alice, of, of just discovering something about yourself as well, which is so important. So thank you everyone uh, for the conversation. I hope you enjoy listening to this conversation. We are 13 women from across the world who took part in the Donut Economics peer-to-peer -peer learning journey in 2022. It was hosted by Civic Square, working with Enroll Yourself and the Donut Economics Action Lab.